Let's pray. I just want to. I want to read these words as, in a, as a prayer. Oh Lord, one glorious night when love crossed over and cast aside both crown and throne, to live beside the common man as was foretold, the promised one. And there he lay in human or in, in humble straw. As angels sing, goodwill to all, a gift from God to reconcile all men to him, this perfect child. Behold, this day a Savior born 
in whose faith the world has longed, conceived in faith, received with love. Come, kneel beside this child of God. Oh, Lord, we come to you today, kneeling before you as the holy Christ child king, giving you honor and glory that belongs to you. Lord, we ask right now that you be with Tim as he comes and brings your message. May you be glorified in all the words spoken. May you change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. <clears throat> Today we will conclude a, a three-week series on the seven I Am statements uh, that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people and said, I am the bread of life. Then uh, John chapter 8 from two weeks ago, we know that Jesus stood in the temple under those large candelabras and said, I am the light of the world. And then in John chapter 10, um, he said, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd after healing a man born blind and then pursuing him. And then in John chapter 11, Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so all of these occurred before his hour had come. And then we know he decisively and purposefully went to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. And so last week we saw that Jesus was in the celebrating with his disciples the Passover in the upper room. And in the midst of that conversation made the I am statement, I am the way the truth, and the life, you know, uh, in helping the disciples to understand that he is the only way to salvation. And he went on to proceed to give them four uh, assurances to calm their troubled hearts. He knew that, that they would uh, witness the betrayal and the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus in the coming hours. And so the final I am statement in the Gospel of John comes in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So in his final hours, Jesus is going to impress upon his disciples their need to abide in him or to be connected to him, their Savior. And so chapter 15 begins with Jesus just saying the words, I am the true vine. And so uh, Jesus, it, it's again, uses a great teachable moment. If we back up to the end of chapter 14, just one verse, chapter 14 ends with the statement, rise, let us go from here. And so I want you to check out this picture here. Um, you can see here in this picture, there's the city of Jerusalem. And here in the, the bottom left-hand corner, I know the, the light disappears. It makes it harder to see. But right over here, this if you follow that red line up, that goes to... Um, where they believe the upper room is at, where Jesus had that last meal with his disciples. And then we know in uh, chapter 18 that they're over here at the, the Garden of Gethsemane. That's that green block right there over here on this side by the Mount of Olives there is the Garden of Gethsemane. And so theologians and, and historians believe that, that Jesus had this conversation uh, of chapter 15 and 16 in transition leaving the upper room and going uh, to the garden where they prayed. And so there's just a couple of options. Maybe Jesus and the disciples headed down south and went out the gate and through the Kidron Valley is the only clue that we have. And so um, they could have gone through the Kidron Valley that way and walked up the valley to where that garden was at. 
Um, that would have been one possibility. Um, a second one would have been that maybe they walked through the city and went to the temple. Uh, we've talked about the temple the last couple of weeks, and so in the front of the temple um, had a, a, um, a great golden vine hanging over its entrance. And so the great historian Josephus describes it this way. He says the gate um, opening into the building was, as I said, completely overlaid with gold, and as was the whole wall around it. And it had, moreover, above it those golden vines from which depended grape clusters as tall as a man. So in either option, both of them are a great backdrop for Jesus to be teaching his disciples about the vine and the branches. And so we asked, but why the vine? And so we see that Jesus used the example of a vine in uh, numerous parables in the New Testament. We know that extra-biblical sources uh, point to the vine being the symbol of, of Christians. Uh, but most likely, Jesus used the imagery of the vine to make the connection for them back to the nation of Israel during Old Testament times. You see, the Old Testament, the vine is the common symbol for Israel, the covenant people of God. But whenever historic Israel uh, was referred to as a vine, it was their failure to produce good fruit. And secondly, uh, that, um, the second thing I want you to see here in a moment in, this, in a passage is that we can see the corresponding threat of God's judgment on the nation. And so you can go later and look at Psalm 80. You can see this in Ezekiel 19 and Jeremiah 2 and Hosea 10. But we're going to look at one example from Isaiah chapter 5. And it says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, vine, a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. You see, it didn't produce good fruit. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Here's God's judgment. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured and I will break down its wall and it will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You see, the disciples knew and understood the Old Testament um, and had made the connection that Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Unlike the nation of Israel who failed, Jesus is the true vine. So he's saying, even though you failed, I've got this. I've got this for you. So God's people are no longer defined as people planted in the vineyard of Israel, but as people attached or connected to the vine of Jesus, the true vine. So the main point of the passage for us today is that we're to abide in Christ as the branch abides in the vine in a vineyard. You're going to notice the word abide happens 10 times in these 11 verses. So let's jump in these first two verses in John chapter 15. 
Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or cuts away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus tells his disciples that he is the true vine and that God the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And from the outset, he gives two, two roads, right? He says branches that he takes away or purges, he gets rid of them because they do not bear fruit. And branches that get pruned so that they will bear more fruit. See, Jesus gave us two clear categories last week. We saw that that there were those that believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and those that have not yet believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And here now we can see that there's branches that either get purged because they're non-fruit-bearing. These are non-believers. Or branches that get pruned are believers so that they will bear more fruit. So the evidence for both is their fruit. So I think we've got to pause and say, then, then what does the word fruit mean for a believer? What does Scripture tell us and, and the, you know, for the evidence of this metaphor. So fruit in the life of a believer is mentioned in several places in Scripture. And so in, in John chapter 4 and in Romans 1, fruit is identified as playing a role in the harvest of the kingdom of God. So we could think of fruit as being evangelism and missions. And then Colossians 1, fruit is recognized by our, our service to the Lord and growing a knowledge of Him. So we can identify fruit in our lives as service and discipleship. And in Hebrews 13, fruit is identified as the praise that comes from our hearts and lips. So that's identified as, as worship in our lives. But maybe the best way, and the best place for us to go is where Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He says this in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we can identify this as our Christian living or our example that we live. So Paul lays out for us ways that we can check our hearts here. You see, he gives us ways that we can check our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions against that list of, of the fruit. But it's easy to see how these, these the fruit of the Spirit are interwoven. Right? It's hard to think that a, a person that is you know, showing great self-control, but has no patience. It'd be hard to think of a person as being very kind, but having no love. And so we can see these, these qualities are interwoven as we increase and we grow in our Christ-likeness by abiding in Him. You know, probably none of you heard this list and thought to yourself, man, I, I've nailed it. I've got those down pat, Right? But the reality is, is that G Jesus is shaping us and he's molding us into who he has called us to be. And I hope that we can say over our lives these two things. I'm not where I once was, but I am not where I want to be. Right? So you see, that is where the pruning comes in in our life. Our life in Christ is, about, is not about a, a, the moment of salvation, where, where salvation occurred. It's about the process of growing into who Jesus has called us to be. So salvation is just the beginning of that process. And, and Jesus then tells us in verse 2 that pruning is, is part of the process that enables us then to bear more fruit. So he prunes us so that we're more fruitful in our lives. So in order for us to be productive disciples that God has called us to be, we have to be pruned. 
right? So why are branches pruned in a vineyard? In a vineyard, why are branches pruned? You know, so after, um, you know, some research, I wouldn't classify myself as an expert in viticulture, uh, but I think there's some interesting things that can be noted. Um, Listen to these. Pruning is necessary for any vine. And pruning is done for the overall health of the vine. An untrimmed vine will develop these long rambling branches that produce little fruit because most of the strength of the vine is given to growing wood. That's why the vine dresser cuts away these unnecessary shoots no matter how vigorous because a a vineyard's only purpose is growing grapes. In fact, pruning is a grower's single most important technique for ensuring a plentiful harvest. So as Christ followers, we're pruned as God shapes us and he molds us and he transforms us into who he's called us as believers to be. So pruning isn't always fun. It's not maybe always the thing that we even want to experience, but God uses it for our good. And we can look back later and see how God has been working in our lives And oftentimes it's during these great struggles or difficulties that we experience the most spiritual growth. You see, if you're in a season of of struggle, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean that God is, is punishing you. It's just part of God's pruning in your life. So as believers, we can expect pruning and trust that it is good and that knowing that pruning allows us to be more fruitful as Christ calls us to be as we abide in him. So let's keep reading. Verses 3 to 6 say this. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. You see, in verse 3, Jesus assures his disciples that they have been cleansed by the word, by the spoken word that he has said to them in the same way we can trust our Savior, by the written word that he has given us. So the word of God changes our lives because we are abiding in him. And we're reading his word. And he says, abide in me and I in you. See, there's no way for a person to bear fruit unless they are abiding in Jesus, the true vine. Jesus tells his disciples uh, that they are the branches and that they must abide in him in order to bear more fruit. What a great picture of attachment or connectedness to Jesus as the, vi- as the branch is connected to the vine. You see, church, we uh, need to abide in Christ as our source of nourishment, as our source of sustenance, as our source of eternal life, just like a branch abides in the vine. You see, connectedness to the vine means that the life of Jesus is flowing through us and leads us to fruitfulness. See, there's a correlation that the more we abide in Christ, the more fruit we will bear. In verse 2, he says that every branch that does bear fruit will be pruned to bear more fruit. And then in verse 5, he says that uh, this pruning occurs and the abiding occurs and that leads to bearing much fruit, right? 
So it tells me that the more we abide in Christ and the more we depend on him, the more fruit we will bear in our lives. But I don't want you to miss the warning in verse 6. Here Jesus makes this connection that those that don't abide in him are thrown away and wither. They're eventually gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. You see, the disciples would have been familiar, would have seen regularly these small fires burning on the hillside there in the Palestinian culture. Uh, They would have known that um, these vine dressers had gone in, cleared out the branches, and piled them up. They'd gathered them, and they would burn them there on the hillside. So that was a common thing for them to see. These are the branches that were bearing no fruit. That's why they were taken away or cut off in verse 2. And here uh, it's said to be apart from Christ, therefore they're bearing no fruit in verse 5. You see, living branches are pruned, but dead branches are cut off. You see, they don't have the life of the vine coursing through them. Jesus is making it clear that refusing him is refusing eternal life. In this final section, Jesus will begin to explain to his disciples that abiding in him, what it looks like. And so in verses 7 through 11, let me read these verses to you. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to notice the progression in these last five verses. As believers, we abide and we obey and we enjoy. So as believers, we abide in Christ and then We obey Christ and we enjoy Christ. You see, to be abiding in Christ is receiving your nourishment from Him as you're reading God's Word and studying God's Word and memorizing God's Word. You see, it's God's Word that helps us navigate through life. It's it's God's Word that helps to direct us and guide us in life. It's God's Word that helps us when we have to make big decisions. It's God's Word that helps us to fight off temptation It's God's word that that helps us in the midst of of relationships and friendships. So to abide in Christ, you see, um, is is helping develop us to be men and women of character and honesty and integrity. So abiding in Christ is like having an IV of God's word flowing through us. See, he shows them in verse 7 that being so connected to him, it impacts our prayer life. We saw that last week, even in, in chapter 14. The closer we walk in the word, our prayers will be guided by God's word. And God will answer those prayers, according to verse 8, to bring glory to himself. God will answer those prayers because it glorifies him as our savior. See, your abiding in Christ leads to bearing much fruit in your life and proving or demonstrating that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. In verse 9, Jesus reminds them that he loves them or the same way that his Father has loved him. And he calls us to abide in that love, to remain in that love, to stay in that love. See, then in verse 10, we see that abiding, that it leads to obeying. You know, sometimes we get this backwards, right? We think that 
we have to have everything all together, that we have to be perfect, that we have to get our life right before we can come to God. But the reality is God loves us. Jesus has already told his disciples that he loves them. He recognizes that they are abiding in him. Now he's teaching his disciples um, to, to, to obey his word. But it, first came their abiding in his word. You see, our obedience doesn't lead to love. It's our love for Christ, our abiding in Christ, that leads to obedience. Let me show you an example. Um, I think if you're married, you'll, you'll understand this. Um, let's just say hypothetically uh, that I was eating dinner and um, decided to eat in the family room and watch a football game and um, got done eating and I put my dishes on the coffee table and uh, Shonda, you know, hypothetically, Shonda said, um, babe, what are these? I'm just going to tell you, if you're newly married, this is a trap, okay? This is not a time to be funny. It's not a time to be sarcastic. I see some newlyweds out here. It's not a time uh, for you to identify that that is a plate or a fork or a glass. Um, this is a, you know, she's, she's reminded me numerous times that um, I can pick those dirty dishes up and rinse them in the sink and put them in the dishwasher. That's where they belong. They don't belong on the coffee table, Right? And so, let's say maybe this happens again, and I think to myself, you know, I don't really love, I, I just don't know if I love Shonda today, you know? Maybe if I take these dishes in today, it'll make me love her. It'll just jumpstart my love for her if I pick these dishes up and I take them in there. And so I, I pick them up, rinse them off, and I put them in the dishwasher. But that doesn't really change anything, right? You see, what really identifies my love for her is the way that, you know, when I, my loving her leads to me doing those things that she's asked me to do. Does that make sense? And so uh, my loving her and my, my connecting with her and serving in her wants me, it just it, it leads me to want to serve her in the way to do those simple things. In that same way, Jesus, our, our love doesn't happen because we're, we obey him and then automatically we love him. It's the other way around. Our, our love for him changes who we are and it, it leads us to obey him. See, the more that we love him, it straightens out the disobedience in our life. And the more that we love him and abide in him, the more we want to obey his word and, and know his word. So, to do this, we have to fall in love with Jesus. We have to abide in his word. We have to spend time with him in prayer. We have to be in community with God's people. You see, we need to do the things that draw us closer to our heavenly father. So our abiding in Christ leads to our obedience to Christ. And then in verse 11, we can see that our abiding our abiding leads to obeying, and our obeying leads to enjoying our Heavenly Father. Listen to verse 11. I'm going to read it again. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, happiness, happiness is circumstantial, right? It's based on the things that are happening around us. And it can be removed in any second. You can be driving down the interstate, and then there's somebody in the left lane doing 65 there goes your patience right 
Maybe you put this really cool story, this beautiful picture online, and your best friend doesn't say anything. You are not having very kind thoughts about them in your head. Maybe uh, some 20-year-old boy drops a pass, and suddenly there is no self-control in your life, right? Because there's no happiness then in your life. And so joy, what true joy is, it comes from trusting in your heavenly Father. It comes from abiding in your heavenly Father. And it comes from knowing who He is and trusting in Him for your eternal security. So we don't have to look elsewhere to be satisfied. Um, we don't have to, you know, we can trust Jesus even in the midst of dark moments, even when things maybe around us aren't happy, because we have joy in our heavenly Father. You see, last week it was cool. Last week, Jesus offered us peace in chapter 14. And this week he offers us his joy. And so I think the, these verses we can see that, that our pattern is to abide in Christ and to obey the word of Christ and to enjoy our Savior. This passage, it makes us have to ask some tough questions, right? We've got to answer some questions about this passage. First, am I even connected to the vine? That is Jesus. Am I connected to the vine? Am I abiding in the Father? Am I bearing fruit? And if I'm abiding, is, is my abiding in the Father leading me to bearing more fruit? And is it leading me to bear much fruit for the kingdom? See, the reality is you're either connected to Jesus, the true vine, or you're not. But the great news is, is that this morning, you can be connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. You could settle your eternal security this morning. But if you're a believer, maybe you recognize this morning that your fruit is lacking. And I want to encourage you that you can grow in your faith, you can dig in, you can abide in Christ more and more. You see, you can begin to read His Word and study His Word. You can begin to find a new way to serve him that could rejuvenate your love right you could join a connection group get involved in a connection group fall in love with the savior abide in christ this morning let's pray father god we thank you that you are the vine we are the branches that you supply us with all that we need father we thank you we can trust in you for our nourishment. Father, I pray this morning that you help us to recognize if we are or we are not abiding in you, if we're not connected to you. And Father, to, to follow faithfully and to surrender our lives to you. God, I pray as the believers in the room, that Father, they look for ways to, to abide in you and to connect with you and to, to dig deeper in their faith, to grow in worship and in discipleship and evangelism and to grow in who they are as a Christ follower. Father, help us to bear more fruit for you. God, I pray for the people in this room that they respond faithfully to your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, the invitation is to come, right? At the conclusion of the service, I'm asking you to come to the welcome desk. And if there's, uh, maybe you want to commit your life to Christ this morning. Maybe you want to surrender and you say, Tim, I'm not connected to the vine and I want to be connected this morning. Then come, let's talk about that this morning. Maybe you're connected to the vine, but 
You say, yeah, that's me. My fruit is lacking and I'm, I'm just not there. What can I do to grow? I, I want to point you in directions and point you in ways that you can grow in your faith in Christ. Maybe this morning you want to follow in baptism or just join our church. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm asking you to respond faithfully this morning to God's word. So at the conclusion of the service, I'll be out at the welcome desk. So you're exiting, just head down to your left. I'll be there. But use the next few minutes as we sing to think about that and to respond faithfully to God's word. So let's stand and sing. Thank you.